Well, we're in a series right now called Dynamite. Uh, it's all about the, the, the power of God in your life, living your life with power. Uh, and we're just talking about the power of the resurrection, the scripture says, is the same power that we experience in our life. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is in you and available to you. Power to overcome fear, overcome obstacles, to live a life of purpose, to live a life that is meaningful, to follow Jesus' commandments. And today we're going to talk about the power to overcome temptation. Uh, and, I, and I'll start with a story today. In, in third grade, I had a problem. And the problem was multiplication. Uh, we were learning multiplication in third grade. And when we moved away from the pluses and the minuses, and they started putting X's by numbers, I got very confused. Uh, just couldn't do it. Wasn't my strength. Math just was not a good, uh, a good subject for me. And so I remember very distinctly this, this moment where we were being given a math test. They distributed this math test, and they gave it to me, and there are all these numbers, and then by the numbers, there are these X's, and then under the numbers, there's a space where you're supposed to fill in the answer. And I was looking at this test, and I was just, to me, it was just symbols. It actually had no meaning whatsoever. And I'm looking at it, and I thought, well, I've got a couple options here. One option is I could just write random numbers at the bottom under, under each bar, right? I could just write a random number and then just turn that in, right? But that didn't seem totally satisfying. The other option was I could leave a blank and just write my name and turn that in. But that just seemed like I wasn't really trying, right? Then the third option occurred to me. Uh, well, let me tell you this. They divided our class up into two groups, the fast math learners and the slow math learners, okay? And back in, in those days, they were not very uh, polit politically correct when it came to naming the group that you were in. So we had two groups, and they were the rabbits and the turtles. Um, I'm not joking. Guess what group I was in? I was over here in the turtle group. And, um, but there was a rabbit sitting right beside me. His name was Gordon McDaniel. And he was a very good math guy. Uh, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see Gordon just whipping through these, you know, this test, just like knocking it out. And that's when the thought occurred to me, option number three. I could look at Gordon McDaniel's answers and write down what he put on his test on my test. Now, I wouldn't know at that time what that was called, but that was called temptation. It was temptation to cheat on, you know, that test. And uh, full confession, um, I succumbed to that temptation. I looked at Gordon McDaniel's answers, and they seemed more sensible than leaving blanks. And so I started filling in my test uh, just like Gordon McDaniel had filled, filled in his test. This came as a surprise when my teacher was grading the tests and the slowest turtle got the same answers as the fastest rabbit. Um, so my teacher then had a conversation with my father, who then had a conversation with me um, about temptation. It wasn't, it wasn't a good conversation. Um, I still remember it. So the truth is, all of us face temptation. 
And this is true of you whether you even say that you believe in right and wrong. So if you're a, a, an amoralist or a, an agnostic or you say, well, I, you know, a relativist or whatever, and you say, well, I don't really believe in right and wrong, you still know what I'm talking about, right? We all set standards for ourselves, and we strive to achieve those standards, and we often fail at achieving those standards. Let me ask you this. How many of you were tempted this week by anything? Raise your hand. Anybody tempted? Okay. Those who did not raise your hand, you were tempted to lie just now, and you succumbed (laughs) to the temptation. We will provide an opportunity to repent at the end of service. Here's what I know about you. Here's what we all know about all of us, right? We all face temptation, and we don't like it when we fail. No one likes to fail. No one wants to look at a moral standard or set a moral standard or have an ethical or moral standard and not be able to achieve it. Because when that happens inside of us, we experience an emotion. And that emotion is guilt. We don't like that emotion. No one likes to feel guilty. We don't like the feeling in us of doing something wrong. If you, if you want to follow along in your sermon notes, we, um, you can follow along with that. Uh, we don't like the feeling that, that failing a temptation evokes in our heart, right? We just don't like it. We feel guilty. Here's what happens. If we don't address that, if we continue to fail, if we don't find forgiveness, if we don't find redemption, if it becomes a chronic, habitual thing for us, our, we start to f- experience a stronger emotion than guilt. We start to experience shame. No one wants to be ashamed of themselves. Guilt is when you say, I did a bad thing. Shame is when you say, you know what, I'm a bad person. Uh, I, it's, not, it's no longer I'm just doing something wrong. It's now, it's incorporated into me, and I don't want that. I don't want to have that, right? And when we, here's the other dynamic about shame. When you experience shame, it actually causes you or encourages you to commit the same act that you committed that caused you to feel the shame in the first place. When you start going down what they call a shame spiral, and you start to really beat up on yourself for doing the thing that you don't want to do, you you succumb to temptation, and you're going down this spiral. In fact, there's a strong correlation between shame and, and, and all, like, all sorts of negative emotional, psychological issues, bullying and depression and violence and aggression and suicide. They're tied in with this shame. And what happens when we feel this shame is we start to think of ourselves as uniquely bad, like, like everybody else is good and okay, and we're bad, right? In other words, we tend to think that other people are better than they actually are, right? We start to go, well, I am just some sort of outcast social pariah. Everybody else is okay, right? And we all do this. We look at some other people and we think they're just, they're, you know, they're just better than me, right? They're just, somehow they don't face the struggle that I face. Somehow they're not, they're not experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing, right? And I've got this unique burden that I carry. Well, let me tell you, every person that you think of like that, every person that you admire, every person that you look up to, every person that you think is not experiencing temptation, they are. They're experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing. They're experiencing temptation. 
They're experiencing guilt when they succumb to temptation. And at, and at times, they're even going to experience shame if they don't find a way to find uh, relief and forgiveness from that experience in their life. And this is everybody. Think of the most pious, you know, righteous person that you know. This is them. This is them. How do I know that? Because one of the most pious, holy, righteous, rule-following guys in the Bible, a guy called Paul, said this about himself. Look what he said. He said, I don't understand what I'm doing. For what I want to do, I don't do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil thing that I don't want to do, I keep doing that. I keep doing that. If the Apostle Paul is saying this about himself, then you know that every single person you know is struggling in their life with temptation. You may also look at this and go, well, look, if, the, if this is Paul, the apostle, and he's struggling with this kind of thing, right? Then what chance do I have of overcoming temptation? It's really nice of you to say, hey, dynamite, you've got the power to overcome temptation. But if Paul is struggling with this, how can I possibly, how can I possibly not struggle with this? Well, let me show you what Paul said at the end of his walk, at the end of his life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is what he wrote to Timothy right at the end of his life when he was in prison waiting for possible execution in Rome. So how do you get from, man, I keep trying to do everything right, but I keep screwing up, to I fought the good fight, I finished the race. You know, how do you get from that? How do you marry these two ideas, right? And what's more important that you might be thinking today is how do I get from there to here? How do I get from I can't, I keep doing the thing I don't want to do to I fought the good fight, right? I want to talk to you just a few moments today about some of the, the, the principles that the Bible teaches us about how to overcome the temptation that we experience in our life. And the first one, where this applies to all areas of life. The very first one is to own your weakness. Own your weakness. I will never forget in January of 1986, uh, at our school, all the students huddled together around a television set, and it was in our science class, and we're all coming together for, uh, to watch something on television, and what we were going to watch was the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. I don't know if you remember this, but Krista McCullough was, the, was, the, was a, uh, a teacher, and she was, gonna, she was on the Challenger, and she was going to be like the first teacher in space. So, m- you know, millions of kids all around the United States gathered around television sets to watch Krista McCullough go off into space. And, you know, we're all excited, and we're all around the, the, the TV screen, right? And I remember, you know, we're counting down with, the, with NASA. We're going five Four, three, two, one. The space shuttle launches, and 73 seconds after the launch, this happened. I don't know if you remember, but the, the, the space shuttle exploded into millions of pieces, immediately killing every single person 
uh, on there. And, you know, millions of children's eyes were on the TV screen. This image is etched into the, the collective memory of, you know, of the, of the children of our country who were watching at that time and the adults. And what it turned out to have happened was there was a, a gasket, or, or they call it an O-ring, that's supposed to help seal two compartments of the rocket booster. And before launch, uh, it, it was cold. And this, this, this gasket had never been tested in temperatures as cold as the launch was about to happen in. And so the engineers that helped design this gasket started throwing up red flags and started saying, hey, you guys, we really should not launch. We ought not to launch right now because these gaskets, we're, con- we're concerned that these gaskets um, might, might blow at this temperature. Uh, and so they started having conversations. They had conference calls. They had all these meetings, but there was a lot of political and economic pressure to, to make this launch happen. And so somewhere along the top of management, somebody made the decision, hey, we're going to launch anyway, right? We're, we're just going to go for it. And they launched, and the result was catastrophic because there were people in management who would not, who refused to own the weakness of this structure. They refused to accept the fact that there might be a flaw that we need to address and get right before we launch. Let me, let me just encourage you with this. Whatever your moral or ethical weakness is, and you know what it is, whatever that is, own that. Know that. Admit that. Confess that. You know what yours is. Take a moment today. Don't write it down. Don't write it down and put it in one of the baskets at the end of service, okay? I'm not going to do that. But we all have temptations. We all have weaknesses in our own lives. And we know what they are even if nobody else does. I don't know what yours is. Maybe yours is anger. Maybe at times you find yourself just boiling over and you you just get totally upset and you're angry beyond you know, beyond what is, uh, you know, reasonable for whatever circumstance happened. And you fly into a rage and you say things you didn't mean to say or you do things you wish you hadn't done and you regret that, right? Maybe yours is, is greed, right? You just, you want more. You always have to have more to be satisfied. More money, more power, more whatever it is. You need more of that. Or when you see other people having more, you feel envy, and you, go, and, and you start to actually despise people that have things that are more than you. And this is a temptation. This is a weakness inside of you. And you know this, right? Maybe yours is gossip. Maybe you, like, just cannot wait to tell a juicy tidbit about somebody to somebody else. And there's some kind of weird sense that in, you know, when you are bringing somebody else down, it makes you feel better. And, you go, and afterwards you think, man, I, don't, I do not like that about myself, right? Maybe yours is lust. Maybe, you know, you struggle with pornography or, or, you know, allowing images in your mind or that you shouldn't be there or, you know, inappropriate relationships with somebody at school or work. And you just, and then afterwards you go, man, it's just, that's not who I am. That's not what that is for me. And if you're sitting there today and you're saying, none of this applies to me, there's a sin called pride, um, <laughs> of which you're guilty, uh, and, 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 you know, and you're thinking, well, look, you know, you, you sort of see other people uh, as less than you and you judge them. And, you know, 
But we, whatever yours is, you know what it is, right? Own that, right? Confess that in your heart. Admit that in your heart. Confess it to God and confess it to somebody else. Find somebody in your life that you trust, that is, you know, that you respect, that you admire. They're not going to be perfect, okay? But somebody who will keep confidence and open up about whatever it is that you're struggling with, right? You have to own it. And if you don't own it, you cannot get to step number two. Step, well, let me read you the scripture on this. First John uh, 1.8, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess, however, he is faithful and just and he's going to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you want to be free from that sin, you've got to start by owning it. That's why I love people that are in recovery, whether alcohol or drug addiction or gambling or eating or sex or whatever it is, people that are in recovery because they get this point. They, they, that's the first thing they do. They say, okay, look, I got a problem, and here's what it is. We all need to adopt that for ourselves. Own that, right? Because only if you own your weakness can you take step number two, which is discover the source of your strength. Discover the source of your strength. About five o'clock in the morning the other day, I feel somebody like shaking my shoulder and waking, trying to wake me up. And um, I, like, I like to, you know, I, I like to protect my sleep. My wife gives me a hard time, but I have, I mean, I'm full on. I have the sleep mask. I have earplugs. I'm serious. I'm into it. Um, so at five o'clock in the morning, somebody's like trying to wake me up. Well, my son Lincoln had been kind of sick. He had had a fever and an ear infection, whatever. And, and I start to hear him. I, I'm hearing him go, Dad, Dad, Dad. So I thought, oh, man, maybe he's sick. Maybe he had an accident. I don't know. Maybe something, you know, I don't know. Go wake up your mom. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, so I'm thinking, you know, something, something's wrong, you know. And so, you know, I take my eye mask and pull out my earplugs, you know, all that. And, and uh, I go, hey, buddy, w- w- what's going on? Thinking, you know, something serious. He goes, Dad. Can you draw me a picture of Aquaman riding on his dolphin? I mean, I did. So I did. And that's... Um, I think that's pretty good, actually. I didn't color it. I, coloring wasn't me. Just the drawing part was me. Um, but that's, that's 5.30 in the morning. I think that's pretty solid. Um, like other little boys his age, he's obsessed with superheroes. And he always wants to know, like, what's their superpower? What power do they have? How do they develop their power? What kind of power do they have? And I think a lot of times in our own spiritual life, we think of spiritual strength as that. The power somehow resides in me. I must become bigger. I must become stronger. I must must do better. I must become more powerful. You can take that slide down. That's, uh, that's, that's just going to be distracting uh, for the rest of the service. Thanks. <laughs> now you have that image etched in your mind for the rest of your life. Okay. Um, you know, and, and we tend to think of that, you know, as the way we grow spiritually. I just got to get better. I got to just stop messing up. I just got to be stronger, right? That's not what the Scripture teaches us. Here's what's fascinating, and here's why you cannot discover the source of your strength. You cannot take step number two unless you've taken step number one. Because the reality is, your weakness is the doorway to your strength. 
Your weakness is the doorway to your strength. You say, what do you mean by that? How, how, does, that, how does your weakness and your strength, I don't get that, right? Here's the reality. It's only when you open your heart and you open that weakness, whatever that struggle is that you have in your life, it's only when you turn that over to God that you can experience God's power in your life to overcome that weakness. It's like a doctor. You, the, 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 the access point to a doctor is an injury. And you don't go, you can't get into the doctor unless there's something wrong, right? And you go to the doctor with the thing that's wrong, and that's what he works on, and that's where he heals you. Jesus is our good physician, and we come to him with our weaknesses. We don't come, he's not impressed by our strength. He's not impressed with our superpower. He's not impressed that we can ride a dolphin, right, underwater. <laughs> Um, he's, 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 he's moved when we expose our weakness to him, our temptation to him, when we turn it over to him. Listen to what the scripture says in second Corinthians. This is Paul again. He says, uh, Paul said, he said to me talking of God, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when we expose our weaknesses to God, our temptations to God, we own them, we confess them, we turn them over to God, that that His strength is allowed to move into our lives and to bubble up into our lives and to allow us to grow. And because if you're hiding your wound, if you're hiding your weakness, if you're covering, if you're camouflaging, and you're putting on a front and just trying to walk it out like you're, like you're okay and everything's, you're good, right? God can't work in that. God, God's power is, is made strong in your weakness. Paul said, I must, you know, get smaller and, and, and let him get bigger, Right? So that's how we access our power. We do it through our weaknesses, through confession and admission of our weaknesses and turning them over to God. And when we do this, now here's where I want to, here's where I want to take you. When we do this, then we don't just hide. We don't just say, okay, what, my main goal is to not mess up. My main goal is to not be tempted. So I'm going to lock myself away. And I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to, you know, risk anything. I'm going to hide. I'm just going to, you know, I'm obsessed with not messing up. No, that's not what the Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that don't just run from the bad. Run to the good. Don't just run from the bad. Run to the good. And what, what I mean by that is rather than just trying to make sure that you're not messing up, one of the best ways to develop your spiritual maturity is to go seeking others and try to help them develop their strength. Try to help them through their weakness. Try to help when they're stumbling, you're going out and you're trying to help build them up. Because a couple things happen there. One is you start to not worry so much about your own stuff. Because now you're starting to focus on your purpose and not so much on your problem. You understand? And so now you're starting to be concerned about other people and you're, you're out, your focus becomes outward and you're starting to lift and build other people up. There's a, um, in, the, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a, uh, there's a principle called sponsorship and, uh, and, and it's part of the 12th step uh, where, where when somebody is you know, struggling with uh, drug or alcohol addiction, uh, at, the, at, the, at the 12th step, part of what you do is you reach out to others who are struggling. 
and then you start to help them and encourage them. And it's, this, it's based on a biblical principle. Jesus said, I, I want to make you disciples so that you can make disciples. So we don't, we don't stay in just like, hey, I'm just, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying not to mess up, right? That's not going to get you there. It's, God's calling us to go out and get our hands dirty and help other people and lift them up. In, in fact, in Romans, it says this, do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So don't just, don't just be, you know, trying to fend off evil. Go out and do good. And, 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 the, and, the, perp, and the purpose of your life starts to grow and blossom in ways that you, that you couldn't have imagined when you're just trying to dig yourself out of your problem. All right? Now, you may say, okay, nice, nice sermon. Everything's tidy. Everything's good, right? But are you saying that if I do these things, I'll never mess up again. I'll never be tempted again. I'll never succumb to temptation. I am emphatically not saying that, right? In fact, I will emphatically say you will mess up again. You, you, you just will. We all do. The history of the Bible is the history of people messing up and then seeking forgiveness and then starting again, right? Look at the scripture from Colossians. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. Keep living it out. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. So it's as we continue walking in, in the faith, walking in Christ, seeking his, his strength in our life, seeking his power in our life, it's only then, it is only then that we, begin, we become stronger and, we, and our faith strengthens and that we're able to help and heal and, and bring wholeness to other people. So we don't just, it's not a one-time thing. In other words, what the scripture is saying is just try again and try again and try again. It's okay. Just get up and do it again. There's an old fable that I love, and it's the fable of uh, the, the mule in the well. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's a, it's the, the fable says that there was this, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was this mule, that old mule that fell down into the bottom of a dry well. This dark, dry well that was out in the in the in the in the wilderness, and this this mule couldn't get out, and so the mule started braying all night long, braying and you know uh, trying to you know signal somebody. Uh, but by morning time, uh, his voice had given out, and he was tired, and he couldn't bray anymore. Uh, and the farmer that had heard him braying all night came out and looked down the well, but it was too dark down there. He couldn't see at the bottom of the well, and he called down to the old mule, but the mule couldn't respond, uh, and so he thought, well, the old mule must have died. Well, this, this well is, uh, you know, it's dried up anyway. It's no good anyway, so we're just going to fill it up with dirt, and we'll just bury the mule, right? So we went and got some of the local hands, and he said, guys, help me. We're going to fill in this well, and we're going we're gonna to pour the dirt in here, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to fill this well and bury this mule. So they start getting their shovels, and they get out, and they start throwing dirt in there. Well, the mule, you know, was, was asleep down there, and he kind of woke up. He started feeling dirt pile down on his back. Kind of made him nervous, as it would. Uh, and, and he kind of wakes up, and he starts thinking, oh, no, they're going to bury me alive down here. So the mule stands up, and, but his voice is gone. He can't bray up there. He can't make any signal to anybody. And he starts to panic. But then he discovers that if he kind of, when the dirt hits him, if he kind of shakes off the dirt and it falls on the ground and then he steps on it, 
little by little, that dirt starts to fill up, and he's starting to make his way up and out of the well. And so he started saying in his mind, I need to shake it off and take a step. And I need to shake it off, and I need to take a step. And I'm going to shake it off, and I'm going to take a step. And pretty soon, that dirt filled all the way up, and that old mule took a triumphant step over the wall of that well. He was pretty happy about that. He did that because he learned to shake it off and take a step. Sometimes in our walk with God, we can get so buried in guilt. We can get so buried in shame. We can get so buried in regret that we don't, we, we, we don't allow ourselves to move forward in our walk with God because we're just buried by sin and guilt and shame. and We don't know how to get out of it. And the scripture's saying, you know what? Shake it off and take a step. Open your heart to God. That's a step. Ask God for forgiveness. That's a step. Confess your sins to somebody else. That's a step. Open the scripture and start learning and start reading. That's a step. Start praying. Get on your knees and say, God, I need your help. That's a step. Get involved in a, in a group, a life group, or get involved with some other people and encourage and challenge each other. That's a step, right? Come through the growth track and, and become a member of our church or some other church. Get involved somewhere. That's a step, right? Find a place to serve. That's a step. Reach out to your neighbor. That's a step. And little by little, you're not going to be wondering if you can see light at the end of your tunnel. You're going to be looking down other tunnels and say, hey, shake it off and take a step down there. You're going to start reaching down and bringing other people up. You're not going to be trying to just get out of the well your own self. You're going to be reaching out and bringing other people up. That's the kind of church I want us to be. I think that's the kind of church we are, is that we're opening up. We're opening up the possibility that people all around our community, all around our city, and all, our, all around our world can begin to take incremental steps towards finding God. I don't know if you notice this, but I don't notice in our church like somebody coming in and then saying, wow, my life has been transformed today, and I'm suddenly everything, you know, I was, I was this, and now I'm 100% this. I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing is people taking little steps towards faith. Little steps towards Jesus. People who are cynical or skeptical or unsure or uncertain begin to say, I wonder what it would be like if I started following him today, if I just started taking a step. And some of us that are Christians, we've been Christians all our lives. We think, well, you know, I'm saved and, you know, sanctified and whatever. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Let's start taking steps. Let's all move forward. Let's start taking steps and become a place where we can bring hope and healing and restoration. Let's bring, be the hands of Jesus in our community and help heal the wounds and the hurts and the shame, the regret and the heartache of the people across our city. Amen. 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 Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we know that you have power for us, power to overcome temptation. We ask, Lord, that you would encourage us, give us strength, give us hope today that we will not just be buried in our own problems and buried in our own guilt and buried in our own shame and whatever it is that we're struggling with, that we would see that not only is there light at the end of the tunnel, but beyond the tunnel, beyond the top of the well, we have a purpose and we have a mission to help bring other people up. We have a purpose to bring hope and healing to our land. 
In every area, Lord, we ask that you would give each and every one of us strength today, God, to take that step, whatever that is for us. If that means we're just going to own our weakness today, help us to own that weakness today. Help us to know what it is. Help us, help us to confess it to you and admit it to somebody else and start getting help. Help us to find you as the source of our strength, oh Lord God. And help us to start taking steps forward into who you would have us be, not only individually, but as a congregation, as a church. Move us forward today. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.